Excuse me. A classic. A classic. <laughs> that marks the podcast officially started. Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Don't Go Outside, your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse. Podcast broadcast. Podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse. It's a Don't Go Outside podcast. This time broadcast from uh, real life. This is the obligatory uh, quarantine episode that every podcast uh, is doing currently. Because we're all in quarantine. And we figured um, things are weird enough. In the real world, we don't have to pretend that we are in a fallout shelter in Mad Max, you know? It's quite interesting, the fact that we almost predicted this in our podcast. Perhaps not predicted, but <laughs> the the topic of our podcast is about remaining inside and not going outside. And it's quite strange that we're now faced with that as our reality. Yeah, our podcast has never been more uh, SEO friendly th- than it is now. Just yeah, we've never been more relevant. And uh, it's interesting that because we're not going to be talking about anything relevant today. Now, welcome to the Don't Go Outside podcast, and today we're going to be talking about Jeff Goldblum, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And our topic of the week is going to be Divinity Original Sin 2, which has been out since 2015, I believe. But we'll get on to that. I don't think it's been that long. It's 2015, it is. It's a very old game. Patch, would you like to lead the topic, as I'm seeing in our show notes, about Jeff Goldblum? Oh yeah, we got show notes now. Uh, We're like a real proper podcast with show notes. Um, So we can stay organised and stay on topic, hopefully. Uh, yeah, so I um, I got Disney Plus uh, recently because uh, I was very excited to watch The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which is one of the most enjoyable docu-series shows I've seen ever. It's so bizarre. It doesn't make sense for a TV series like this to exist. It's just Jeff Goldblum goes around just meeting people, talking about coffee, talking about RV camper vans, talking about tattoos, just anything. I guess you must have just said this episode, I just want to see what swimming pools are all about and why people love swimming pools so much. And it's just Jeff being Jeff. Is this just Jeff Goldblum's personal passion project? It seems like, yeah, They. I don't know how, as I say, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not sure how this program came into existence, whether... Disney approached Jeff Goldblum with the idea, which I imagine is what happened, but it does just seem like Jeff took the reins, just being like, uh, listen, I want to discover what what makes us so crazy about bicycles, you know, and barbecue. Uh, each episode is a different specific topic, and he travels across the US meeting experts in various fields, 
Um, and he's just, he's just, yeah, he's just, it's just amazing to watch, really, because he's so upbeat and friendly, and everyone really likes him, and the production value of the show is such that, um, you know, it doesn't feel cheap at all. It feels like a lot of research has actually gone into the topics, and, and uh, yeah, Goldblum is very excited to learn. It's like a Discovery Channel sort of thing. Like there's not mm. any real set topic. Just every week is something different. So they must have just said, "Yeah, what do you want? What do you like? What do you want to talk about?" And he must have got just gone. Oh well, you know, I want to learn about denim and the history of denim and see why we're so obsessed with it. So uh, yeah, every episode's kind of a bit like that. And if you like Jeff Goldblum, you'll like this series. It's uh, it's very enjoyable. Apart from that, The Simpsons and The Mandalorian, that's really the only thing I watch on Disney Plus these days. And there's far too little of it. I need more. Because <laughs> it's only like eight episodes or something. And as soon as it finished, I was just like, no, 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 I need I need more of this. This can't finish here. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very enjoyable. I really love the idea that Disney has just thrown a ton of money at Jeff Goldblum and said, just... You know what, Jeff? We don't have enough. We don't have enough TV on Disney Plus at the moment. Mm. We trust you. We love you. Just, just you know, here's ten million dollars. Go be Jeff. Um, and I think that is just fascinating. And I love that he's just been able to carry out his passion project. And everyone loves Jeff Goldblum. I mean, what what's not to love? He's a weird man and quite fascinating. He's a very um, likable fellow. Yeah. So, out of the series that you've watched so far, I mean, how many how many episodes are we talking about here? Um, probably about eight episodes, I think. Yeah, and as I say, it's not like it's not like a set theme. It's just eight episodes of just random topics. It starts off with uh, sneakers. It's the first one. So I'm going to talk to you about sneakers and why we're so obsessed with sneakers. Every episode is sort of like seeing why people are so obsessed it's kind of like a materialistic thing it's like why are we obsessed with material things but it kind of goes into like the positive side of it and kind of how you know it's it's not it's not a uh, scathing indictment of materialism it's more of just sort of oh yeah this is the things that people are passionate about and what brings people joy in life you know that's a I'm kind of glad they took that route on it not because I'm pro-consumerism and materialism but more the fact that it's very easy to punch down at these things mm-hmm. um, and and I mean we all we all know this already we're all striving for more sustainable lives but it is interesting to explore that aspect of the human condition that makes us interested in things like sneakers or denim or tires or pillows or whatever it is yeah um it's striking me almost like um like almost like a how it's made but more charming and more more human focused. Yeah, yeah, it's, it does have that kind of feel about it. It's just sort of, yeah, Discovery Channel ish. Which I mean, Disney own Discovery Channel now. I think that's they've got a lot of Discovery Channel stuff on Disney Plus. So I think that's kind of a lot of the team who worked on shows like that are now working on the world according to Jeff Goldblum. Um, yeah, and it does look at sort of the human story behind the creation of all these things. The episode about RVs. Um, shows a real good example of how Goldblum is just on his own wavelength at all times and people just kind of have to get on board with it because he goes to this RV factory uh, where people make these massive you know thousand 
dollar Winnebago's and it's run by like Amish people uh, a lot of Amish people work at this factory and as Jeff's interviewing mm-hmm. them he keeps kind of almost forgetting that they're Amish because he makes tons of film references and stuff it's like oh have you seen the, the this old film with Cary Grant and they're like uh, no no sir we, we haven't because we're Amish we don't watch films it's like oh you, you wouldn't <laughs> want to go on a trip across the country in this massive luxury Winnebago and he's chatting to one Amish guy and he's like actually no it's I would really love to go on a on a Winnebago road trip but because I'm Amish we can't really do that and Jeff's like oh come with me we'll take a little trip in a Winnebago <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous and there's Jeff Goldblum uh, corrupts the Amish <laughs> there's lots of little like that's the one that sticks out but there's tons of moments where Jeff kind of just forgets himself and he'll say something that if anyone else had said it would have it would have come across as really insensitive but because he's just kind of is on his own wavelength and just is such a kind of joyous person he doesn't mean any harm by it he's just he, he, he there's a lot of kind of like all, like awkward moments that are just hilarious like that Amish thing I think that um whenever you have someone in this kind of documentary style mm-hmm. it's all, there is a certain vibe of someone who's they're just nice and they're just intrigued and that's why Jeff Goldblum's good at this it's why Louis Theroux was good it's people yeah. who are just interested outsiders who are just kind and charming and they just want to know more there's no malevolence there I was intrigued that a show like this would exist as I said at the very beginning like it doesn't make sense to me how this show exists it's, just, it's quite random if you think about it it's just like ah oh, Jeff Goldblum's yeah. going to do a show about his favourite topics oh, okay great thanks Disney that's weird that Disney would do that um, it, it seems like something that is total Netflix bait you know uh, maybe that's, that was it. it it was originally going to be pitched to, uh, to Netflix and then Disney were just like nope nope we're having that one that's, oh potentially that's yeah, but that's, yeah that's, a, that's an interesting thought actually yeah um, um, yeah so I'm looking forward to the Jeff Goldblum uh, ride uh, <laughs> to be built at Disney World <laughs> uh, based off this show <laughs> Be very Maybe it'll be like it's a small world after all, but with sort of Jeff narrating and going through the things. That he's would be pretty fantastic. I was thinking more like a teacups ride, but instead of teacups, it's like Jeff Goldblum's massive hands just spinning around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds like some kind of nightmarish horror, but you know, we're into that kind of thing in this vault, so I suppose that's, that's what we should be doing. <laughs> And it was, and um, the music would just be Jeff kind of humming, sort of show tunes off key, as he does quite a lot in this show as well. He'll go off on a tangent and just like, oh, I remember that one song, da 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 da. Starts saying, "It's uh, Robin, Robin. I really recommend this. I, I, I want, I kind of want to make this homework for you for next time. Is to watch a bit I'll of the show. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's fantastic. Um, what would you say if I was to only watch one episode and the listeners at home were only to watch one episode? What would you give us? Give us a brief synopsis and tell us. Like, give us the review. Tell us oh, why we've got to go do it. Um, that's a difficult one because they're all so different. They all cover such a wide variety of topics. I would say watch the episode about either the one about makeup or the one mm-hmm. about barbecue, I think. Because I think they are episodes that kind of. Uh, the barbecue one, you know, 
Jeff explores what fa- why the human why humankind are so fascinated by barbecue and how and how it's kind of like a primal thing that we've done for millennia and uh, he looks into kind of quite in quite an educational sort of uh, manner talks about how the meat industry is changing and how the food industry is changing and how you know like how um, people are using like bugs and and fake protein to make these new like barbecue meals and he has a he has a barbecue with these like rugged like countrymen and Jeff Goldblum and these big country boys eating some eating some meat over a fire. I just love I love the image of this. Make, again, making references to like old musicals and show tunes and like the and like the rednecks just not really knowing what he's talking about. Um, and the makeup one is great as well because it's uh, Jeff it, like it has a weird character arc where. Uh, Goblin is like I don't think people should wear makeup you know everyone I think has a natural beauty about them Uh, but as the episode goes on he kind of sees why people wear makeup and why kind of the makeup industry is so beloved Um, and yeah I don't know it's 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 an interesting one because that's that's got a weird that's got like a little character arc Um, Hmm. and the ice cream one's good as well Jeff makes his own uh, his own ice cream and uh, has wow. to serve it to a group of people on an aircraft carrier. It's just, it's weird. It goes on these strange journeys. And you just, wow. um, yeah. What flavour is Jeff Goldblum? Uh, so it's a weird flavour where he makes ice cream with, like, uh, plants. It's got, like, uh, it's got, like, herbs in it. It's quite a sort of earthy one. Um, but, like, it's basically a bespoke ice cream maker in Portland who basically forages ingredients he's like i'm gonna make a ice cream flavor based on you jeff goldblum and it's gonna basically taste like summer <laughs> and springtime and and uh, yeah it's, it's it's very whimsical whimsical i'd say whimsical is probably the word i'd use to describe this entire series i think that that is just just charming just charming it is it's a joyous thing to exist i'm glad we have it and i want more i can't wait for more can't wait for more Jeff Goldblum. Mm. Um, and now a word from our sponsors. Uh, not for broadcasts, a game in the style of Papers, Please, where you're in a dystopia tasked with controlling a television station during the rise of a fascist government. Oh, yes, yes. Have you? Did you hear about this? Um, or was this just... Uh, my my wee note because it's uh, I, oh I thought you'd I thought you totally made this up and we were going to do a false advert about it <laughs> no Robin this is a real game <laughs> funnily oh enough God. no that, that's that, I literally thought this was a bit no man I guess this is this is this would be why uh, I think you'd really enjoy this and is why I wanted to talk about it uh, there's a game it's in early access at the moment which is why I haven't bought it but there's a free demo out of the early stages of it. Um, the game is called Not For Broadcast and as Robin rightly suggested it's um, it's a if you know papers if you know the game Papers Please it's set in kind of like a fake dystopia during the Cold War where you have to where you're a border patrolman and you have to stamp people's passports and make sure you're not you know letting sketch people into the fake country of Arstotska uh not for broadcast is of a similar vein where you're just a guy 
working at a television station in a fictional version of the UK uh, during the rise of a fictional totalitarian government. Uh, So the prologue is just sort of like the first broadcast, which is during election night, where all the election results are coming in and all the candidates are doing their interviews. And you have to essentially control what the viewers of the television series uh, watch. And you have to like censor swear words, you have to set up commercials and stuff, change camera angles to keep people, keep viewers interested. That's the small taste of it that I got, and it's all, all the footage is FMVs, so everything's acted out by real actors, and you have to, it's essentially cutting together a television show, which I find really fascinating. That is, that is just a wonderful concept for a game, and also the use of FMVs is, is, really interesting because they've, I mean, apart from just utter fringe games, they've really been out of use. Yeah. Um, Would you say there's quite a budget behind this or is this really fringe indie? Yeah, it's very fringe indie. Uh, The budget Mm -hmm. is like tiny. You can tell all the actors in it they're, you know, maybe like just a post-art school project and they've got like their drama school mates to come in and play the parts and and there's a real creative energy behind it that you can feel that all mm-hmm. these people want this game to do well and they're trying to tell a really good story with it. I think it's kind of, a, it's like a parody as well. Um, I kind of, it's, I think it's trying to tell kind of a serious cautionary tale about the dangers of uh, censorship and stuff but it's got a kind of like tongue-in-cheek feel about it because um, you see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff of interviews and things which you can choose to just broadcast on the television but obviously like your ratings will go up but then your job score will go down so you have to be careful not to show too much of <coughs> the interviewees showing their true colours otherwise that will look bad on towards a television station um, it was a wee while ago I played this so I can't remember too much detail exactly what happened but the gist of it is it's election night Basically, the BNP got elected as the majority party, and this and the setup is you're going to have to now deal with a news channel full of just insane shit going on. And I'm looking forward to the full game being released because it sounds really like an interesting concept for a game and a story. My main question would be, and my main worry would be, generally when you have this kind of media, which is quite clearly analogous to things that are happening in the real world, Mm -hmm. a lot of them can be very obviously opinionated, trying to beat you over the head with, this is bad, this is good. Sure. Um, And wherever you stand on the political spectrum, I mean, that's fine if it's well executed and if it's done with Mm humour. But I actually, I recently watched V for Vendetta, um, of all all pieces of media. Oh, yeah. And... there are a number of similarities here. Uh, Britain has turned into a fascist totalitarian regime. Our titular character is tasked has tasked himself with bringing down this government by donning a Guy Fox mask. Now, it's good fun action. Uh, it didn't win any Oscars, and I wouldn't give it any. But my problem with it is it's just this overly simplistic view of political systems and of activism and of just the hum- what's going on with people politically in general. Yeah. And my worry would be that this game errs too far on the serious, actually trying to change opinions, actually trying to, you know, um, drive 
drive a certain narrative, which again is okay, but it can come across as sort of preachy and a little bit boring. Yeah, I understand. Managed to have enough. I understand your enough comedy to get through that. Mm. Um, No, I mean from my first impressions, well, as I said, the the prologue is just a twenty-minute demo of the very first level, and uh, it doesn't feel incredibly preachy. You know, um, I'm I I can't speak to what the rest of the game's going to be like, which road they will choose to go down, but I think it might take a more light-hearted turn. Uh, hmm. Just I think the narrative will be maybe not as dark and serious, probably not at all as dark and serious as V for Vendetta. It doesn't didn't seem to have that energy about it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'll probably I'm going to keep an eye out for when it comes out and uh, maybe have a wee report uh, when it does eventually release. Just going to. I'd be interested to follow to follow this up, and I do I do hope they take the sort of more papers please tone to it because whilst that was on a very serious topic and did have serious things to say about the world, it did have that level of charm and a little bit of. A little bit of silliness that kind of dragged yeah. it through. Well, I say dragged it through. It allowed it to have more serious political intonations. So I just hope it's not all serious and it has enough m- enough sort of game fun silliness to pull it through. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It does seem to, from what I've seen, it has. It does have the the, the silliness to kind of keep it going. But as I say, it depends. I guess it would really depend whether your sense of humour really jives with the creator's sense of humour as they all are kind of like live actors just kind of having having their own fun and a good time. I guess it really all depends on whether you share their sense of humour. Um, but yes. So it's in early access at the moment. It's called Not For Broadcast. You can get the prologue for free on Steam. Uh, I recommend checking it out, man. It's a good one. As we're now all trapped inside for a real tragedy, rather than just the fictional one we've created in the Don't Go Outside universe, thankfully, Warlord Beefsteak is there to save the day with a quarantine keg that will arrive at your door within 24 hours of any variety of the Warlord Beefsteak collection, whether that be tire flavour, tar flavour, or ptarmigan flavour, all shipped to you freshly, every day, without a chance of any kind of contamination. Order now for a 10% discount with the code Don't Go Outside, You'll Die of Coronavirus 2020. That's Don't Go Outside, You'll Die of Coronavirus 2020 to remind old beefsteak that his good friends Robin and Patch are in his corner. Robin, I want to talk to you about vampires. I did see this in the the show notes and I was slightly concerned that in your quarantine life you'd become obsessed with Twilight and we were going to go the the podcast was going to change into uh, a, a Twilight fanfic um, Twilight I was fan quite cast. concerned uh, but it, talk, talk to me about vampires well I don't know it's just like so I've been I've been watching two very heavily vampire based shows recently and then I got back onto the Total War Warhammer wagon and started playing as the vampire counts uh, there and I don't know there's something at the moment I'm just really on a bit of a vampire tip and I don't really know what's caused it but uh, I can say (laughs) that uh, what we do in the shadows the TV series is 
fucking hilarious. So, so good. Um, I don't know if you've seen What We Do in the Shadows, the, the film. I have, I have, and it is quite special. It is very, very funny. Yeah, so if you think, imagine that, but like a TV series thereof. So what for those of you who don't know, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, the film was uh, a mockumentary by Taika Waititi about, uh, about three vampires living in Wellington, New Zealand in the modern day. Uh, and it was kind of sort of like a spinal tap feel. It was just a fly-on-the-wall documentary about the the trials and tribulations of being a vampire in the 21st century. Um, and what we do in the Shadows TV show um, follows that exact same premise, except it's set in New York with three entirely new vampires who have been tasked with uh, corrupting uh, the American continent uh, with a vampire curse. They've been there for... 400 years and they haven't left Staten Island they've just been comfortably living their life being vampires and it kind of this kind of goes more in depth uh, into the uh, mythos and lore of the what we do in the shadows universe uh, it's really really good the actors who play the vampires in this I would say are arguably better than, uh, Ooh, than that's, in the film. That, that's a pretty big claim to make. Yeah, well, there's three of like my favourite like British comedy actors. you got Matt Berry of The Mighty Bush and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <clears throat> you got Natasha Dimitri, who's a really funny uh, stand-up comedian. She's just coming up on TV. She's been in a few things, but this is... I think this is the first show I've seen her in. Um, and then you've got uh, Keva Novak, who was the Face Jacker, I think, if you remember the show Face Jacker. I do. Mm-hmm. So those three play the vampires in this in this iteration of the series. Um, and it's really good. It's just, uh, it kind of follows, as I say, goes more into depth of the life of vampires in, the, in this universe. And it's really funny. It's really, it's a good watch. Um, I think that's on iPlayer just all the time. Because uh, the BBC produced that alongside FX in America, so if you want to watch that, you can just catch it on iPlayer. I recommend it; really good. My main question before you get onto onto Warhammer, because I, I realise we'll need to edit that section down from six hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> um, my main question is: do do they manage to maintain the same sort of just? Mockument, as you said, mockumentary, spinal tap, silly, nonsense feel. Is it still uh, Taiko Waititi? Is he still the director, or has it been passed on to someone else? Is the same production company uh, so involved? So still produced by Taika Waititi. I don't know if he directs all the episodes, but he definitely has. He's definitely had a big influence on it. Yeah, it's still the same silly mockumentary style. Um, yeah, just all the episodes are like ridiculous. There's one where one of the vampires turns into a bat and then gets captured by animal control and spends the night in basically the dog pound <laughs> and they have to try and figure out how to get him out before sunrise um, there's another episode where uh, they're trying to plan like you know the the once a decade vampire orgy and it's just <laughs> the most ridiculous like uh, thing ever um, and yeah it deals with kind of like more of a human turning into a vampire as well. In one of the early episodes, a human gets bit by one of the main characters, and and as the series goes on in the background, like it kind of cuts back to her going through the vampire transition, 
and one of the episodes focuses on uh, Tash Dimitriou's character like um, being her mentor and teaching her how to be a vampire and um, yeah it's just cool it's just a, it's a good it's a good light hearted vampire uh, comedy which uh, there's not really any any of at the moment but it's, uh, it's, it's a good one uh, I'm 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 sold. I, nice. I'm sold. Um, I, I'll I'll definitely I'll definitely check that out because I really really did enjoy what we do in the shadows. Um, shall we move on to your other piece of vampire experience with uh, Warhammer Total War? Well, before we talk about Warhammer Total War, I want to give a shout out to the Castlevania TV series on Netflix because that's the Ooh. other vampire thing I've been watching, which is a the total flip side, just serious vampire anime drama <laughs> which uh, took a little delve into the anime cave I was like oh Castlevania that's a name I know from uh, Smash Brothers really just <laughs> the only <laughs> Castlevania exposure I've had is playing as uh, Simon Belmont uh, in, in Smash Bros Ultimate my question about it would be have you seen Vampire Hunter D Vampire Hunter D I don't think so Actually, no, maybe um, I have. Now, this is it's pretty old-school vampire anime, and I would wonder if in a Castlevania anime they would take any stylistic pulls from that. Um, I would be interested. I was I was quite a big fan of, of, of that particular anime when I watched mm-hmm. it. So if if Castlevania pulls from that, I'd be happy to I'd be happy to watch that. It's very much it was very much if you, you haven't seen Vampire Hunter D it's very much in that vein of anime that is just completely overly serious. A little bit of body horror in there. Very much in the sort of berserk vein. Oh, of, I do like berserk. Anime. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so Castlevania is it's it's like a horror series, uh, and it's more about uh, Dracula has declared war on the human world because they killed his wife, who was a human. He went to travel the world, kind of, I think, to try and find a cure for his vampirism. And while he was away, the townsfolk burned his wife at the stake for being a witch. And he was like, well, this is why I hate humanity. I'm just going to declare war on humankind. And um, a lot of the series so far has been focusing on the infighting between the different vampire clans. It's quite slow paced. Hmm. Every episode's maybe about 20 minutes. And not not a lot of progress is made within those 20 minutes I think the first series is like four episodes long and that's really feels more like a proof of concept like a like a pilot episode um, introduces Trevor Belmont and uh, Dracula's son Alucard and how they work together um, and there's cool like monsters in the animations really nice uh, it looks like uh, really clean and refined uh, but there's not a lot of action in it. If you're looking for like an action series, it's not really that. It's just kind of quite dark, serious, like a horror story, more kind of a feel, than straight up action vampire killing. So far. Well, I actually think that there is a little bit of a dearth of that. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of vampire fiction does seem to fall into the either action-y or sort of naff um, schlocky fiction again not a bad thing not a judgement or into that whole vampire romance thing Um, I mean you will get um, 
some sort of fringe, uh, intense horror vampire stuff. Yeah. But it's kind of rare. Like what? Um, Thirty Days of Thirty Days a Night. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, let the let the right one in. Let the wrong one in. Oh, uh, let the, the right one the in. The Scandi. That's the one. Yeah, that's the Scandi. One, actually, yeah. Scandi vampire. Um. So I, I'm I'm game for more of that, and I'd like to see how that works in a vampire setting. So uh, I, I'm kind of kind of sold on that. That's, yeah, Castlevania is interesting. Good. I'd recommend it. I've kind of fallen off a bit because I think just the pacing is maybe a bit too slow. Like I like right. that it takes its time setting things up, but I think I think I'm on coming to the end of the second season, maybe the start of the third season, and still nothing's really happened. <laughs> you know? It's been a <laughs> lot of setup and intrigue and people betraying each other and it's just like, okay, come on. Come on, let's let's there's you're supposed to be at war. Let's get let's get something going. <laughs> um but it's interesting enough. I just I don't know, I think I'm just in the mood for some evil shit at the moment, which is why I was playing uh Total Jesus. War again. <laughs> uh, just being like the evil vampire accounts just spreading corruption and darkness across the world. Um I don't know. It's just it's just not a it's not a genre I've had a lot I've been that interested in before and I guess I'm kinda of coming back into it with a fresh perspective, being like, Oh yeah, horror stories. Just let's just play some evil characters, you know? Um so yeah, that's all I wanted to say about Total War. I didn't have a whole lot to say otherwise, other than I'm getting a further vampire fix from that. But um, yeah, <laughs> my main it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me at the moment. I'm kind of, you know, every time I go in the sun, my skin starts to burn. Like, every time I try to eat something, I th- throw up blood for two hours. It's just, I don't know, mm. man. I'm not sleeping like I normally am. Maybe we'll continue to record this podcast remotely. Just, just for the time being. Yeah, I do. Until maybe this whole, whole vampiric plague thing that's clearly in your system uh, comes out. Yeah, let's maybe do that. I have a vampire freaks account now. That's uh, that's a bit weird. Vampire freaks. Oh my word! I uh, know exactly. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> oh, vampire freaks. <laughs> Did not. It- did not expect to hear that today. Uh, me either, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, me either. Despite the fact all I've been talking about is vampires for the past 20 minutes. So I was like, oh yeah. It's like Facebook, but for fucking sweaty goss. As you know, plastic is everywhere in the modern world. It's in our oceans. It's on our floors. It's in the very air we breathe. So, why would you accept anything less than Tupperware Farms organic plastic range of organic plastic cigarettes. Robin and I have been just smoking the hell out of these little organic, organically grown plastic sticks of delight for the past week now and all I have to say is mm, mm, delish. Thank you to Tupperware Farms, one of our second sponsor for this week for for uh, sending us a free sample of only the finest, freshest grown plastic cigarettes. That's Tupperware Farms Organic Plastic Cigarettes. The finest synthetic smokes money can buy.
Well, uh, I can't really, haven't been able to really contribute to these past few topics, but something I can contribute to and I would like to talk about, you've made a note about Assassin's Creed and game difficulty, the balance of, um, balance versus challenge. Oh, yes. Um, I'd really like to know your thoughts on this because I, I, I really got into the Assassin's Creed series. I was interested in it for a long time. Mm. Um, I, I liked I liked the way they built in mechanics. Um, I liked I thought they were just good to play. They were very fluid to play. So I'd like to I'd like to hear your thoughts. I'd like to discuss that. I'd like to talk about it. Let's uh, talk about Altair. Although I don't think you're going to talk about him because you've got Odyssey. But let's go. Yeah. Okay. So Assassin's Creed Odyssey um, is the first Assassin's Creed game I've played since Black Flag, which I can't imagine was that recent I'm just going to do a quick check uh, quick, a very quick Google just bear with me second so yeah Assassin's Creed Black Flag came out, came, came out in 2013 and for me that was like the total peak of the series especially because it was just like a pirate adventure on the high seas the ship battles were fantastic like I think the they managed to get the mechanics nailed and story wise it was good fun. The next couple that came out didn't seem that interesting. It looked like they took a bit of a dip, so I just kind of stepped back for a bit and I was like, oh, I'm kind of done with the series. But Assassin's Creed Odyssey had a free weekend on, uh, on the PlayStation Store, maybe like three weeks ago. So I picked it up. I was like, why the hell not? I like I like it's set in ancient Greece. I like Greek mythology. Uh, so I've been playing that, and it's pretty good, man. They seem to really have, uh, like, as far as I'm concerned, it seems to be keeping the the spirit of Assassin's Creed Black Flag alive. Um, and I thought, what the hell? I'll just try and play it on the hardest setting. Just, just fuck it. It's, it's just why not? Because I don't do that with games very often, especially now that I don't have time to really play games to the end. I'll just tend to play them on the easier settings, just so I can get through the story. Um, but I thought, screw it, I'll just I'll just give myself a wee challenge. Um and what I wanted to say about um difficulty versus challenge is that rather than giving you kind of more challenging combat, they just throw more enemies at you to almost like throw mm. you off and confuse you, which I feel isn't really making things more difficult, it's just making things more frustrating and annoying. You know, it's more like running the gauntlet rather than showing off your skills, if you know what I mean. That's kind of the idea I think, that I had in my mind. I think uh, I completely understand what you're saying, and I think this is a bit of a a bit of a common problem with the way some games ramp up difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the way I would understand a difficulty curve is that it should be more of an exponential curve rather than a linear one. Um, in the sense that not only just the sheer number of enemies increases or the health bar increases or the damage statistic that they deal increases, yeah. enemy behavior has to change. Yeah. Um, so I believe if you look at games like Mark of the Ninja, for example, good stealth games do this quite well. Um, they change um, guard behavior in certain ways. So their sight cones are different. They can notice you from different angles. They're more sensitive to sound. Um, they behave more aggressively. And with these changes in AI behavior, that sort of has a true influence in the difficulty rather than 
a more artificial one, which would be provided by increased number of enemies, increased enemy health, or increased enemy damage. So I would put them in the two categories of increasing AI is almost an exponential scale because if you continue to increase AI, it really does reach a point where it's, you know, the AI is smarter than you. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with um, with just increasing difficulty in that sort of traditional linear sense, you're just you know, increasing the number of enemies. And if you've dealt with one, you've dealt with lots. For example, with Arkham Asylum, um, which was a, a great game, but I feel that it suffered from when you increased difficulty, you just ended up fighting for longer. It wasn't, yeah. you weren't at more risk of death. You were just doing it for longer, which Shadow of Mordor had, had a similar problem. Mm-hmm. And I think Assassin's Creed, uh, I, I would agree, has that similar, similar problem. Yeah, <clears throat> which is like, it's fine. It's a design choice, I feel, in a lot of games. But in terms of this, it just wasn't really what I was looking for. It's just hmm. you leave the starting area like it's set in ancient Greece, so all the areas on are, are on islands. So you leave your home island for the first time on this massive galley. You're out in the ocean, and it's like, oh, your first encounter with pirates. This should be pretty difficult, but it just throws like six ships at you they all just charge at you at once and they're all going all over the place and you're just still learning the game mechanics I was like okay this isn't making things more difficult this is just throwing more shit at me to deal with when I'm still learning how the game works Um, Hmm. which is interesting because there's so many mechanics in this game which are really good but um, you know I don't know I just like long story short I've just put the difficulty back down to how to how it's you know quote unquote how the game's meant to be played like you know the normal setting that's when they say this is how Assassin's Creed Odyssey is meant to be played it's like alright cool I'll just play it like that <laughs> you know why give me the choice otherwise you know I would agree um, and when I when I think about it more I think that quite a lot of the time difficulty settings are kind of arbitrary and a little bit pointless yeah um, which is I mean that would come across as a bit of a sort of a bit of an elitist and knobby thing to say but when you think about it what are you actually looking for from difficulty now you're going to have a very small subset of people who are just looking for difficulty as a source of challenge mm-hmm. these are your speedrunners your challenge mode kind of people people who play i want to play i want to be the guy for fun um sure psychopaths in other words uh-huh. uh, that's a joke that's a joke to the challenge <laughs> community um but let's look at a game like Dark Souls, for yeah. example. Now, there's no difficulty setting in Dark Souls. You choose your own difficulty by the equipment you use, and you would only learn that through a sort of basic playthrough and learning the mechanics. Mm-hmm. But the way they change enemy difficulty is by changing attack patterns and changing environment. Yeah. So rather than just simply throwing more enemies at you or throwing increasing health bars... It is to do with changing patterns and keeping you thinking. So it seems like these two forms of difficulty inherently do make the game more difficult, but whether that's because it lasts longer and you've got to endure more combat, or whether it's through making things more novel and different. It's almost like they have different levels of interest. And for me, when I want increased difficulty, I want that to correspond with increased interest. Whereas what you're describing in Assassin's Creed seems to be 
as difficulties increasing, interest is actually decreasing. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if that articulates what I'm what I'm thinking about difficulty, but w- would you say that's understandable? Kinda, yeah. I mean, I know. I mean, obviously the dark, like the the Dark Souls topic, that's something that's been a point of contention for for uh, for gamers for years now. Because every time a new Souls like uh, every time a new Souls game comes out, there's always the always the same discussion of should there be difficulty settings in games and there's always the hardcore pro gamers being like no just play the game the way it is if you don't if you can't play the game like this and you don't deserve to play games which is an extreme uh opinion which i don't share but i think it takes me back to i was talking about um sekiro uh, a few episodes ago because that's my first real experience with a souls game um mm-hmm. and i really like the fact that you it's it's a hard game, it's difficult but you're given the chance to actually learn the mechanics and learn effective ways of taking out the different enemies and like you said, it's not just throwing more shit at you, it's being like no, here's here's the challenge just, you know, if you can do it, great and we'll just see you at the end of the game um which I really like, which I prefer um, but like I just said this hasn't dampened my experience of Assassin's Creed some at all I think there, there if anything there might be other aspects of the game which might put me off it later down the line um, I, I think that perhaps um, just, just to open up the idea of should games have difficulty settings or not I think that most of the parlance talks about if the game's hard you should just get good and I am with you on this. I don't agree with that um, that line of line of thought mm. whatsoever. But what I do think is that most of the parlance seems to be on most of the discussion seems to be about hard games and whether they should have an easier mode. But what I think is that we're forgetting easy games. Why should they have a hard mode? Yeah. Why should Assassin's Creed have this hard mode when the game clearly isn't really suited towards it? When the only thing, the only tool they have in the toolbox to make it harder is to increase enemy numbers, why does it need to have this hard mode and make people feel as if they're losing some of the potential experience by not playing on hard mode? So I think it cuts both ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. some games suit suit to be left hard without a setting, and some games suit to be left easy. And the if by artificially changing this difficulty, you're changing player behavior into a way that doesn't form the most interest then i feel you're doing your game a disservice yeah i mean actually that's a yeah that makes you know to to be honest i've never heard anyone complain when a game has a hard mode but you always hear people complaining when the when a game is given an easy mode you know and i think it should it should cut both ways like i don't like i don't know why yeah uh why games feel they should provide this I don't know why developers feel they I don't know if they do feel that they have to provide extra challenge um, and it's just chucked on as an afterthought or whether because in some cases I think like the uh, uh, Spider-Man game on Playstation 4 which again I played which I played through again recently I played that on a harder setting and it did seem to have a bit more uh, technique about it Hmm. The combat was the combat became a bit more technical. You had to think a bit more about what you were doing, which is quite good and fun. 
and it was it was a good challenge but I think in the case of Ubisoft and Assassin's Creed Odyssey it's just kind of maybe chucked on at the end like we've designed this massive game with all these with all these different competing features like the ship mechanics are back from uh, Black Flag uh, there's the nemesis system from uh, Shadow of Mordor you've got like rival assassins looking for you pretty much at all times which you have to keep track of uh, there's the there's the main story there's side quests there's leveling up because it's more of an RPG now which I think is crazy I never considered Assassin's Creed to be like an RPG system but they've basically built one for Assassin's Creed I think it definitely benefits from that so with all these different systems I think maybe chugging in a difficulty setting was just kind of like an afterthought you know it certainly seems that way yeah and I do think that in a lot of cases it is more of an afterthought I think that a lot of games just don't suit having a difficulty setting Mm. Um, I mean if we look at a game like the recent Doom games oh um, yeah uh, like what is it? Doom twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, and then Doom Eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, both the difficulty settings on these change any behavior and they change encounters in a way that that game kind of is built towards having this sliding scale of difficulty. Yes, it, it, it is built with that in mind. Um, in a way that I don't think Assassin's Creed is. No, I think Assassin's Creed, especially, I think. The one before this, Origins, this one set in ancient Egypt was quite well. They they marketed it on having a mode where you could just explore ancient Egypt and use it as kind of almost an educational tool, which I thought was a really interesting mm. idea, because they've got this in, um, they have the same thing in Odyssey now, where they've just basically built a simulation of ancient Greece, and you can choose a game mode where you just explore ancient Greece and learn about Greek history which is like another topic I'm kind of alongside vampires it's another topic that I'm quite that I'm kind of jonesing on at the moment as well I think that's kind of what they're designing their more recent entries in the series uh, the more recent Assassin's Creed games are designed around being kind of like a history lesson slash RPG uh, but uh, and then adding on the difficulty setting afterwards it's like maybe just something extra they thought well if people want to challenge then they can have this extra difficulty mode but it's probably best played after you've played the game through once you know uh because that way you'll know Hmm. all the mechanics and you'll know how to deal with massive amounts of enemies well there you have it game designers uh from two complete novices (laughs) and non-professionals in the field that is how you balance your games with difficulty now, speaking of difficult games, Patch and I have been playing a very difficult game. We've embarked on that a game odyssey of our own. We have, and that is Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah, man. Um, which, unbelievably, is the first game Patch and I have ever played together. That's true. Well, the first video game we've played together, really. Yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, man, that's crazy. We've known each other for years and never never just sat down and played a little multiplayer together. It's great. But it's been, it's a, been, it's been a fantastic experience uh, in this, in the uh, in the lockdown, you know? It has, and it's been interesting because, you know, you learn you learn stuff about yourself, you learn stuff about each other, you, you really get into stuff. Um, what I've found 
wonderful is uh, i think we've discussed for a while that like i have i've not been playing so many games i do keep up on the press i do discuss them openly Mm -hmm. because i still find still find the developments interesting and i do still find game design very interesting but i haven't haven't really had a game get its get its hooks in me really really make me itching to play yeah you've been really like i'd say more so than me like you've been really hooked on on this one i think which has been great for me because oh because it means I get to play it a lot. Um, but yeah, no, it's just uh, yeah, I'm I'm really glad you're enjoying it because uh, it's a it's a fun it's a fun wee game. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really really been fantastic. So, just uh, for the uninitiated and for anyone who hasn't played it, Divinity Original Sin Two is the sequel to, understandably, Divinity Original Sin. Now, this is. The closest you can get to a Dungeons and Dragons adventure on on a on a computer. Now, functionally, it is a turn-based RPG mm-hmm. set in a classic fantasy world with elves and humans and dwarves. And the the story is fascinating and deep, and the lore is wide, and all of the characters are wonderfully voice acted. It's um, just a very great holistic full story but what's really really grabbed onto me is the combat system now it's a very involved system and it's very difficult to get your head around but there are lots of environmental factors that come into play whenever you are in combat so for as a very simple example if you spill water on the floor on that surface and then someone casts say a fireball or a source of heat that will produce steam and then any ranged characters can't see through the steam and therefore can't use ranged attacks now this expands to electrified water to poison on the floor all of these different effects come into play and what i think is the real triumph is games have brought in environmental mechanics before quite Mm -hmm. a lot i mean Thief in the 90s used used environmental mechanics massively. What I think is really different and well-executed here is the fact that the AI will use these environmental effects. Yeah. Um, the AI enemies will work out where your characters are likely to go, try and make projections of that. They'll work together to try and build traps for you with these environmental hazards. And it's it's fascinating, and it keeps you on your toes, and it means that each combat encounter, you really have to think about strategy before you even enter the battle. There were times, there have been times where Patch and I have been playing, and we've just had to stop, have a little conference for about five ten minutes before we <laughs> even engage in combat. Yeah, um, and I think that level of both just quality world building. Mm-hmm. and attention to detail and a complex but accessible combat system these two factors have just combined to really really get me get me excited get me on board yeah it's like the two um, to the point the two big things that robin likes are are lots of lore and and mechanic and and complex mechanics and i think this game has both in spades <laughs> Yeah. So, um, what have you? What? How? How would you describe your feelings about the game? I like this game. I like to be the dwarf and chop people to bits. It's good fun. No, 
all of robin's all of robin's uh nonsense academic chat it's just bs i like B- i like b <laughs> no but you know what like honestly that's been i've not played uh a fantasy rpg for ages just as just as the fighter like I, all, I usually just say the fighter is like the most boring, like preset character you could ever be. It's just a man with sword who who whack things. But uh, it's been, it's just been fun to do that, you know, for once. Just be the guy who's like, I'm going to run in and chop people, no matter what gets thrown. Because as because they're, as Robin was saying about environmental hazards, they are fucking everywhere. Like almost every dungeon we've gone into has had like poison puddles on the floor like water patches of oil that can set fire and i can just walk in there's this tanky guy and just absorb all the energy absorb all the damage and and try and attract all the enemies towards me while everyone just picks them off it's quite a satisfying thing to do is be a tank i don't know why i haven't done it more often um I have to say it's it's a it's an archetype which I I've never played for the same reason mm-hmm. I've always just viewed it as as a little bit boring. Yeah. Um what what I've found as well just when you we're talking about archetypes is I feel that quite often what what tends to happen in fantasy RPGs like this even when you have a party dynamic is that each character plays their own character and that's kind of mm-hmm. it, you know. Whereas I think in Divinity um all of the different characters fall in certain ar- archetypes and then you can use certain abilities to synergize with other character archetypes. Yeah, yeah, that is um, quite cool. Like so you can you can you're constantly like buffing each other and helping each other out and and yeah, it's it's cool. It's uh it, it's something that I've enjoyed massively about it is that I've um ju- just to just to explain a little in the in the system, you can play a maximum of four characters. Mm-hmm. And the way Patch and I have split it is that I play two characters and Patch plays two. Um, what's been really interesting is I've developed synergies between my two characters. And then these um, two characters are complementary to to Patch's characters. Um, and so I'm devel- developing the two builds of my two characters yeah. um, in tandem together. But then that unit works with with Patchy's characters, and it's just um, it's just wonderful to see how all these different systems link together. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. And like I said, I've kind of I've got the the tank knight character, but then I'm also playing as the wizard, who just has all the complicated spells and area effects, which is really good fun. So I'm getting kind of a taste of both, and I do think the way we've got it set up, we could. You know, if if our internet was good enough, we could just go on two separate adventures on the other side of the map and just do our own thing. Because I think the way we've managed to set it up, and I think the way the game has allowed us to set it up, is that you can have a powerful build of just two characters. You don't need the four people unless you're going into something like a into like a really serious battle. But yeah, I do mm-hmm. like that the game allows for interplay between all the different classes. Um, yeah, it's great. It's just a fun time. And, you know, all the NPCs and characters, they react differently to your character depending on on who they are. Uh, one of the guys in our party is this is a skeleton. And uh, he has to hide his face from everyone at all times. Otherwise, everyone's going to attack him thinking he's a zombie. Uh, but that 
but then being a skeleton and undead he gives him further knowledge to things that our characters don't have access to so in terms of uh story and uh and uh role play it gives you a really good opportunity to it really benefits you to have different types of characters because your different character types will be have access to different parts of the story which i find really interesting yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And just the the level of, of of detail that's gone into every single, almost every single character, every single character archetype having different interactions with each different NPC. Yeah. Just the the amount of dialogue that again is all voice. It's all acting. voice acting. It's crazy. That has, yeah. been, that has been put into this game is just wow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it is incredible. It's it's one of it's one of these games where I really get the feeling that regardless of what it is in the game, what what minutia of the game, someone's thought about it. And someone's thought about how that minutia interacts with every other aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. Which is um, just... just uh, it, it just shows a real labour of love, which I respect. And there's also the fact that the game is mechanically consistent, which... Is one of the, my real bugbears um, about about any game, and it's again, it's why I love Dark Souls so much. Is that that game is completely uh, mechanically consistent. Um, okay. If you can see an enemy, and if they, you can see an enemy and they can hit you, you can hit them. Um, and other other than a few little a few little uh, glitchy moments in, in Divinity Two, if you can see a surface, you can teleport there. Um, if uh, your spell says you can haste a character you can haste an enemy mm. you can um use all of the mechanics as the mechanics are written on the tin um which is there, there's no sort of mechanical invisible walls so to speak which again just massively engages me because something that really knocks me out of a combat system is when i'm like well why can't i do that and there's no real consistent reason for that whereas <laughs> divinity just allows you to experiment with different mechanics, different systems, and allows you that level of mechanical consistency so you're not artificially held back at any point. Yeah. No, I like it. It's really good. It, 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 like Even when you can't do something, there's always a inbuilt reason as to why you can't do it, which, yeah, I think it's pretty much the same as what you were just saying. And I do like that, though. It's really cool. It's not like some games where it's like, oh, you can't do that. It's like, why? Oh, just because you're not allowed to yet. The game game's not ready for you to do this yet like um i've kind of i kind of remember experiencing that in in games like red dead redemption like as good as red dead redemption 2 is some things that you would expect to be able to do you just the game just doesn't want you to do and this you know the story is not ready for you to go to a certain place yet so you're just going to get marked by the by you know the army immediately whereas in this game i feel that if we just went off the beaten track and found a way found a way into somewhere we weren't supposed to be the game would still allow us just to work our way through it well this is when i've spoken to other people about this game because obviously just just for reference patch and i are still in the early stages of the game and we have put quite a few hours into it though Mm. what what, the way i understand it is yeah you can pretty much if you just want to go buck wild and just murder everyone you can do that you know batter in you're not gonna it's not gonna stop Mm. you um, it reminds me almost of Morrowind in a way. Sure. Um, it, which was uh, it was more or less. Yeah, you're allowed to do whatever you want, 
it'll like the the only sort of control it'll give you is it'll pop up and say there was a pop up in the game that's if you're about to kill a key character it would say if you kill this character the world is doomed <laughs> you can keep playing if you yeah. want but you're not you, you've doomed the world um and I just think that that's that's great if you want to enchant some boots that make you blind in Morrowind, batter in, you can do it. And I just, I really respect that in a game. Really enjoy it. One thing though, NPCs can attack your characters with melee up ladders and uh, you know know what, Divinity developers, you need to get on top of that. Yeah, that's some bullshit that we've done a couple times (laughs) that we cannot do. It's a bit of BS. So that's the one inconsistent thing I was going to mention is that when you have the high ground on an enemy, say you're up on a platform, uh, like they can, enemies can swipe up to hit you, but you can't swipe down and it doesn't work the other way. It doesn't work vice versa. So if an enemy was on a platform and we were on the ground, we wouldn't be able to hit them, which I've, I've always, which I've found to be pretty bullshit. But, um, hey. Outside of that though, very well done. Yeah, it's been interesting. To, <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how you play games as well. As we say, this is the first time we've kind of played a game together, and I think it's really been interesting to get used to each other's play styles because mm-hmm. uh, we're still in, still very much in the first area of the game, and we've been playing for. Hang on, let me check Steam. We've been playing for twenty four hours. Of game time, and we're, what are we just in chapter two now? Yeah, we're not. We're not even in act two. Right. We're still at the, the first area. If it were me playing an RPG like I normally do, like I would have just been like, "All right, let's get on with the story." Like I'm bored now. Let's see what more of the lore is. But the way Robin's been one to play it is kind of make sure we do pretty much everything that's available to us. Which at first I was like, "Okay, fine, fuck it, let's just go through." But it's proven to be quite interesting, actually, and it has kind of influenced, uh, as a, like with my Assassin's Creed Odyssey playthrough, I've been like, all right, yeah, let's, let's see what other side quests we can do, you know? I mean, in Assassin's Creed, there's a lot of fetch quests, so I haven't done them all, but uh, yeah, I, it, it's been interesting to kind of see a different style of gameplay um, and experience the game slightly differently, if you know what I mean. I yeah. don't know if you've been getting that experience I, 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 as well. I have been, and it's it's one of the interesting things is just taking it into consideration, you know, how to play with someone else, play this kind mm-hmm. of game, um, because the way as you've as you've rightfully identified, the way I like to play this kind of game is to do every side quest, investigate everything, and then do the main story last. And normally when I do that, I do it lightning speed. I just take in as much information as quickly as possible and play really, really fast. Yeah. And what I've found is that you're you're a much more methodical player and you think about actions before you make yeah. them. Um, whereas I'm much more happy to just fire in, <laughs> fail, reload, fire in again until I get something that works, which is almost a brute force method. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of forced me to to slow down a bit. Yeah, because if we're doing side quests, mm-hmm. I like to read the stories and stuff because it's all it's voice acted, but like it's all like text on the screen when you're chatting to characters. And I was just like, oh yeah, no, what's this guy talking about? And uh, there have been times where Robin's been like, oh, are you finished with that? It's like, no, I'm still talking to this guy because <laughs> I'm not just like <laughs> hitting enter just to be like, yeah, give me the golden boots. Come on, come on. 
you know. <laughs> um, something I have enjoyed, which is it's it's uniquely suited to this experience, is the fact that while you're while you're maybe chatting to an NPC and I'm off, you know, get, you're running around exploring, teleporting up walls and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I can just be like, oh, Patch, what what were they saying? And then you can just relay that information to me. Like, that's that for me is totally within universe. That's almost, I mean, it, it doesn't cool knock me out of the experience. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's almost like RP, non-RP. But, you know, you can imagine in universe that if uh, two characters were off doing something else and two characters were talking to another character, like an NPC, mm-hmm. And then they met back up, and then they said, "Oh yeah, what did you do? What did you do?" And then we have that sort of interaction um, as we're playing, which I, I think that's great. I think that's really fun because then we're both sort of—it's like we are actually in that party doing that thing, uh, rather than I, both of us just having the same experience at the same time. Actually, to be honest, that's a really good point because, like, to go back to like we're just in the second part of the game, and the whole premise of the first. Well, the second part, the second chapter, the whole premise of the first chapter is we're all wearing these these collars that mute mute our magical energy, so we can't cast as many spells. We're on this prison island, and the whole task is for us to get our collars off. And when we finally got to a bit where we could get our collars off, I did it first, and then ran up with my guide to Robin, and be like, "Robin, I got my collar off finally!" And you were like, "Oh, where is it?" I was like, "Come on, I'll take you and get our collars off." And that was a cool sort of like. RP moment really without really meaning to be RP you know yeah big time like it is it's almost like emergent role playing mm-hmm. if that's that's a term yeah yeah because it's it's almost it's almost like it, it's a native it's inbuilt because obviously we're not we're not pretending to be oh yeah I'm a Kuthgar orc wizard <laughs> that's not to dump on or mock um, RP in any way I think it's I quite fun but um, but this sort of like emergent RP where we're like, uh, yeah, just just like that experience you described. I think it's I think it's really great and something feels really mm. fluid about and it. And it's kind of earned as well because we were looking for ages to find someone to get to get these source collars off, and now because <clears throat> it really gives us a lot more abilities to work with. So it gives you an incentive to find these characters and to make it to this point. So when so that excitement was definitely earned. So it's nice, a nice wee moment. It is, and I've just, you know what, I've just been enjoying my time with the game in entirety, in a way that, you know, I kind of thought that was lost to me, enjoying fantasy games in that way, and I'm glad that that's been rekindled in me. I'm really glad you picked it up, man. It's been good to, it's been good to play through it, Um, because I think I, I, because I bought it, kind of, it was on sale, and I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll just buy this, and because I played through it, I've played through the first one a wee bit and the first one's really really good and this one really just expands on all the mechanics and systems of the first game um and it's really been a fun experience to actually play it with someone else i think playing through it on my own i probably would have just like steamrolled through the story by this point and not really done any of the extra shit or discovered anything i'm not really someone who like i don't i don't really like optimize my characters in an rpg i just go for like whatever does whatever looks shiniest whereas you've been really thinking about you know what's the best build and what's the best setup for combat uh which has really made me think more about it as well so it's been really it's been a really cool experience to kind of you know just just play a game in a different way just going back to that to, to that idea you know 
It's, uh, it, yeah, yeah, it is. And man, I just, some of my favourite experiences have been when we're looking, when, when we're sort of about to go into combat and we can see, we can see the, the monsters that we're going to be fighting and just having that sort of, uh, as I mentioned before, having that like, that five minute conference where we work out and we're like, oh, if I teleport up here and move someone out and use this ability and you can focus on these guys. Yeah, the strategy. It's really almost like, you know, it's almost like you're in the locker room with a chalkboard, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, um, but yeah, really enjoyed. Really, really a lot. There's a lot to enjoy lore-wise, strategy-wise, mechanic-wise. I'm happy with that, Patch. Uh, I think I think we're good to sign off there. Yeah, like, would you go outside for Divinity Original Sin? I... I would have went outside until we were actually threatened with a a real a real reason to not go outside. Oh, okay. So I would not go outside for 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 Divinity Two, but I would go on Steam and I'd purchase it again. You know, I would go as far to say, if it wasn't on sale, I would purchase it for full price. Yeah, I think this game. I'm kind of loath to buy games full price at the moment because I have many different things I'm saving my money for currently um, so on the rare occasion that I do buy a game at full price, something pretty special uh, I bought this game in a sale but I think having the knowledge, yeah pretty much same as you, having the knowledge that I have about it now I'd say it's worth worth the asking price um, get on Steam, Absolutely. pick up Divinity Original Sin 2, it's a good one um, yeah I you know, in, tradi- in the tradition of our show, I would go outside for Divinity Original Sin 2, but in real life, um, actually, you know, in real life, I would. I'd go, I- I'd use it as my as my once a day excuse to go outside, pick it up on my way to the store, and then come back with a week's worth of shopping and a new game <laughs> to play. And wash your, wash your hands thoroughly. Wash my hands thoroughly, um, yeah, just, um, aye. So that's been Don't Go Outside, ladies and gentlemen, um, where you've heard us discuss such disparate topics as Jeff Goldblum, Assassin's Creed, The Nature of Difficulty, and Divinity Original Sin 2. Oh, God, and a lot about vampires. vampires. I hope to be over that particular curse uh, for next episode, um, which should hopefully come a bit more, uh, more soon than the last... There's been a bit of a gap between this episode and the last one just because I was waiting for a microphone to be delivered because um, we were only using one and now we have two things are going to be so much easier we're in our second decade of episodes we got show notes we got two mics things are getting a bit slightly more professional here in the vault um, and I hope you guys are as excited about it as me because I'm pretty excited and as always guys <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> I'm not excited. Robin doesn't care. Let's wrap up this game so we can play more Divinity Original Sin (laughs) 2. Basically. No, we should we should be able to produce more consistent podcasts more regularly. That's that's our goal, that's what we'd like to do, and that's what we'd like to give to you. Um to our six listeners. But we're hoping to get more. Well that's the whole point of getting Um, more pro, man. As always, guys, don't go outside. Like, really, don't go outside. Stay inside. Wash your hands. Wash your hands again. Stay inside. Stay safe. Protect our NHS. 
Look after yourself. Don't spread coronavirus. Yeah. If you got a cough, stay in your bed. Stay in your bed. Stay at home. Man, I love having the excuse to stay at home. It's great. It's great. Just uh, don't go outside. As always, guys, don't go outside. (laughs) You can cut the episode there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't go outside. Buy yourself Divinity 2. Play it with us. Play it on your own. Have a good time. Play it with friends. Feel closer to friends by playing Divinity 2 because you can't hug them in real life. Yeah, you can... can, uh... That's the one thing that's missing from Divinity, I think, are emotes. Like, every now and again, I try and, like, forward slash dance, and it just doesn't work. I'm going to look this up as oh, soon as we man. finish recording, see if we can get any emotes. That'd be great. I want my... Divinity I emotes. want my dwarf to floss. <laughs> that's... Okay, so that's it. Divinity developers, stop stop allowing melee attacks up ladders, give us some emotes. Then you get a 10 out of 10 game. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, okay, cool. Well, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.